So most people, when they're in it, can't tell they have it. So that's why when I also, when I speak to my patients, I, at this point is when I look at whatever support person they have in the room, whether it's two days after you gave birth and you're about to go home, or it's during the prenatal course when we talk about topics like this, is I look to the person, the other person or whoever they're with and say, this is where you step in. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned into Trish Chat, a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation. Our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Welcome back to Trish Chat, everybody. My name is Steph, and I'm here with Jess, and it feels weird because we're on Skype with Ana Sofia, and I don't have a mic in front of me. Say hello to everyone, Ana Sofia. Hello. Pandemic <laughs> times. Yeah. Before we get started, I have been advised by Jess to ask everyone to please follow us on Instagram, <laughs> rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you. Okay. So on a serious note, Ana Sofia um, is a two-time guest on Trish Chat. She joined us on a, on a previous episode. Um, today she is joining us to talk about postpartum depression. I'm going to give a uh, an intro to Ana Sofia. <clears throat> Ana Sofia is a board-certified nurse midwife whose main goal is to provide holistic midwifery services to the disenfranchised, especially folks who have low income and lack of access to healthcare. She currently works in Brockton, Massachusetts at a federally qualified health center and serves a wide range of folks who identify as women and have uteruses. She provides a spectrum of services from prenatal care, birth control, perinatal mental health, annuals, postpartum care, etc. Informally, uh, introduction to Ana Sofia is that uh, we went to Dartmouth together and she's my bestie. Um, And yeah, I'm really happy that um, Anna, you're joining us for this episode to talk about postpartum depression because I think that I have seen postpartum depression in people, um, but I think that growing up in a Dominican community, I don't think that it's really talked about, um, but I think it's something that's more common than we think, so I'm glad that you're here to shed light on um, postpartum depression and talk about that, and I my my hope is that this will shed some light on the topic and remove some of the stigma and the shame around what it means to experience um, postpartum depression. So um, for anybody who's wondering, like, what is postpartum depression? I have a, a definition for it. Anna, you might have a more, like, um, specific definition. But before we jump into that, we... Um, because this podcast is about a vulnerability, something that we want to explore every week with our guests is to talk through um, how you practice vulnerability this week. So um, how have you both practiced vulnerability this week? Um, I feel like I practice it every day, but when thinking about it, I think this week for me, I had a tough conversation with a friend uh, where I had to give them a call to talk through some 
feelings I had about a conversation that was left kind of gray and it made me feel bad and sad. And so I just had to address that and had to be very vulnerable about my feelings and, and just, I guess the next steps that I wanted to see and accountability there. So that's never easy. Um, and that's something that I've been really pushing myself to do because I don't like that stuff sitting with me because I, I notice what it does to my stress level. So yeah, that's what I did to vulnerable this week. Nice. What about you, Anna Sophia? Um, so I'm in therapy, which I will get into later of why I even started. But uh, this week for therapy, um, I guess we were getting, I was getting really, vulnerable. not we, I, I pretend that she's a friend, but she's not. Um, <laughs> I was getting really vulnerable um, about the reasons behind why I allow certain situations to keep going that, that don't benefit me or better yet, better said, I guess, um, why I allow people to take advantage of me or why I feel like I have to be a people pleaser. Right. Um, and that stems from what we discussed is from my childhood and being brought up by my parents and especially my mom and how she uses guilt trips to make me feel like I need to do something for her or, or I sacrifice so much for you and you can't even do this one little thing when, when like we're talking about washing dishes. Right. So, <laughs> so then how that, um, has manifested itself in my relationships with people, whether romantic or friendships or mentor relationships, where I feel like I, like, for example, with my new job transition, I felt like I had to take this other job because my mentor said for me to, and I felt like I was letting them down and bringing, you know, all of these things. And so I usually just avoid emotions and pretend they don't exist or rationalize them away. And so when I was confronted with like having to name this issue or this law that I have it was is just very vulnerable for me you damn yeah I can relate a lot to that yeah rationalizing things for sure yeah um I was vulnerable this week in that I told um Jess that I was feeling very very sad and very down about not having a relationship with my parents and family anymore for those of you who have listened to the um, to Trish Chat for a while, you know that I talk about this like many episodes. Um, it's been seven or eight years, eight years um, since I ended the relationship with my family, and I think for many people, eight years is a long time. So they may not think they may think that you're like completely over it and that it's all good. But I still face times of like tremendous sadness. I just spent so many years being like, yeah, I'm good. They're lost. I'm good that I think people have stopped asking me about it. But I still feel very sad um, about it at times. I just haven't proactively brought it up. So I was proud of myself that I brought it up. And I'm, I cried my eyes out. But I feel better now. <laughs> I'm yeah. Had to get that out. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That was, thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, let's talk about postpartum depression. So Anna, I, um, I read many definitions on mm -hmm. postpartum depression. I'm happy to share one of them unless you have a, a definition that you think is, um, 
So let's, let's hear what you found, because it's probably what most people are finding on Google, and then I can expand on that. Okay, so I will, uh, I will, the one that was the least confusing was on Mayo Clinic, and it basically said that you can have baby blues, which a lot of people experience, which is when you can have like some anxiety or some feelings of sadness, but something that is a little bit more severe and that lasts longer um, and that you have significant feelings of like um, sadness and anxiety and that it is prolonged is postpartum depression. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> so, no, that's a very good like general description. So for me, um, postpartum depression is a misnomer because I think it's an umbrella term that we throw out there for everything that could happen in the postpartum. Uh, or the fourth trimester is what I call it, um, or what a lot of people call it, because it's, it's a continuation of your pregnancy, right? Like, it, you enter motherhood, but you still have the hormones of pregnancy and all these other things happening to you immediately after birth. But what I like to call instead is the perinatal mental health, and that encompasses postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and postpartum psychosis, which is the third tier. So if you think of like all of these different levels of what postpartum depression in quotes um, can be. So most folks think postpartum depression is sadness. It's, uh, you know, all of the normal, I should say, uh, signs of depression, so on and so forth. But it can manifest itself in various ways, just like depression can. Um, most folks don't realize that postpartum depression can be bouts of angriness, right? Like anger at your partner, snapping at them, thinking that they can't take care of um, the child, um, that they aren't good enough, now, all of these things. It can be sadness. It can be not taking care of yourself and focusing just on the baby. So some moms might not take a shower for like a week, right? Not because they don't have time, which is what they'll tell the people around them, but because they just can't bring themselves to do anything. Um, and so it's a, it's a, general name that we give for many different types of emotions and many different um, ways that it can manifest itself. And yes, you're right. Postpartum blues is something that affects 70 to 80% of women immediately after giving birth in the first two weeks. So again, that could be um, being irritable, being angry um, all of a sudden. Um, you could be happy one minute and crying the next when you look at your baby. You could... Um, someone says something to you and you snap at them all of a sudden. And that's because you're pregnancy hormones, um, various of them, progesterone, estrogen, um, prolactin going up because you're breastfeeding if you choose to breast or chest feed. Um, all of these things, right, uh, are trying to balance themselves out. You're no longer pregnant or you no longer have anything in your uterus. And so you don't need those other hormones that kept you pregnant. So all of a sudden you're crashing down. And that's what postpartum blues is. It's your body's inability to regulate what's going on so quickly and that usually goes away by the end of the second week what i tell my patients and what i what i talk about is what happens after the first two weeks and postpartum depression can actually occur anytime from when you give birth to a year later so it's not something <laughs> a whole year later so there are people who are fine for six months and then all of a sudden you know they have postpartum depression as symptoms um, and that's what people don't know. And the rate of clinical postpartum depression or like the, the statistics are low because we not a lot of people 
bring this up to their midwife or doctor. And not a lot of people know what the signs of postpartum depression is. So they never even bring it up or talk about it. And right now we think it's between 10 to 20%, but we don't actually have a real number because it's something that's not spoken about. And then the last um, and tier, like the ultimate, right? Like if you're thinking about, like I think of it like as a video game, but a bad one. Um, The ultimate is postpartum psychosis, which is when you start having thoughts of harming yourself or killing yourself or killing your baby. So we see that in the media when a mom kills like three of their children, right? Um, Drowning them or just thinking that they're better off dead because she can't handle her emotions. And so um, that is much less. It's like, quote me if I'm wrong, whoever's listening, but um, it's less than 3%. Um, And it's, it's very serious. And it's what happens when postpartum depression isn't treated or is allowed to continue without any intervention. And some people get over postpartum depression on their own after some months, and some people don't, and it continues for the rest of their life as general depression. Um, And some people are at risk of having it again when they have another child. Um, So it's it's an understudied phenomenon in in women or people who choose to have children um, that we don't really know a lot about and not a lot of funding is thrown at PPD or postpartum depression. That's interesting too, because when you said that postpartum depression is like a general umbrella term, I feel like when I thought about postpartum depression for a long time, I thought about that, that there was a, a, a woman who was like all over the news. And I think she like drove her into the water with her kids. Um, and they just used the term postpartum depression, postpartum depression, postpartum depression. So for me, for a long time, I thought of postpartum depression as something that was super extreme, like to that point. Like if you have postpartum depression, it means that you are thinking about harming your children. That's mm-hmm. not good. Versus like you have postpartum depression, so you're having trouble getting out of bed. Right. So it's just very interesting because there's levels to it. Well, yeah. what, what you're fed from the media is like, this is what postpartum depression is. And because no one else really talks about it, you don't see postpartum depression manifest in any other way but someone who killed their kids. Right. And and then there's postpartum um, anxiety, which is, I'm sure many people have had this, um, or you've seen it, in people who just can't let their children be taken care of by someone else. Like, they're the only ones that can do it. And they can't sleep because they're constantly checking their babies if they're breathing. They can't um, leave the house without their baby. They can't go get their nails done without their kid. Like, it's anxiety around the fact that you think the worst is going to happen to your child if you're not near them. And that is very crippling because some people won't won't leave the house um, with that. And then another one is uh, PTSD can happen with birth. Uh, Birth. For, for birth to be a positive um, experience, the person giving birth needs to be supported, needs to, um, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I want a vaginal birth and that's what I want. And if something goes wrong, I'm going to get postpartum depression. No, it just has to be what we've noticed in studies is that even if the person gets a C-section or doesn't give birth vaginally or something traumatic happens, such as like one of the many emergencies that can happen while giving birth. As long as they were heard, they were supported, 
they had someone explain to them what was happening at every step of the way, they did not experience negative perinatal mental health. They, they viewed their experience as positive. So when you have a negative birth experience or, tra- or traumas that happen during your birth experience that don't get addressed or that you, the doctor or the midwife never even mentioned what happened to you or doesn't debrief you or you don't have a supportive partner or, or whatever myriad of ways, then that can um, translate to PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's another beat in a whole different level. Because that's like the same thing as if you went to war and came back with PTSD. And it's really rough on the people who have it. Wow. And so you, you mentioned that um, postpartum depression can continue for someone for the rest of their life without being like diagnosed. Like, so, so once you go past a year, it's no longer called postpartum depression. It's just called general depression. Because now you're depressive, you're in a depressed state for a long time. And just like the generalized depression or major depressive disorder, it's something that sort of sticks with you for for your life, right? So if you have depression, if you get that chemical imbalance in your brain, then, and you fix it, right, either with therapy or cognitive behavior or with medicine, then what's to say that you can't relapse, right? So you could get past postpartum depression, but now that you experience depression, we know that you're at higher risk of having major depression. And this is a very small amount of folks, um, like percentage-wise, but it's still something to keep in the back of your mind, especially if you have family history of depression or suicide or other things that could put you already at risk of developing depression in your life. Wow. Yeah. Insane. Um, one note I do want to say is that like the stats are just I, I love statistics like they just they help me visualize things and uh, one thing I wanted to know before we started was that I got a lot of feedback from our episode with you people loved our episode with you they their mind was blown on like everything you were saying and like I think just hearing the statistics and just like your experience really helped them like open their eyes in a way that like they never like a lot of men actually reached out and were like, wow, that I had no idea. So I think this is going to really like stick with people just hearing these type of things. Thank you. And it's, it's insane that we don't talk about this. And I, and I do say we don't talk about it because it happens to mostly women. Right. Um, and that's why, because most of the things that happen to women are underfunded. Nobody researches it. It's not important. So on and so forth. But um, a recent study just found that it's one in seven women, which if you think about how many women have children in this country, right, or who are pregnant, that's a lot of people going through postpartum depression that we're not addressing. So it's pretty insane to me. That, that is wow. insane. So one other question before we dive into the other stuff is like, are some more prone to this than others? Yeah. So when I take a history of someone's past medical history, if you have any mental health um, illness or di- or disorder or anything, I, I make a little note um, to keep talking about postpartum depression throughout your pregnancy, even more so than with other patients, because I know that you're at risk of getting it, um, especially if you're currently depressed and on medication while you're pregnant. Um, that could lead into a faster route into psychosis. So I just make sure that I get you set up with therapy that I get if you're willing to do that I get you on 
a medication that's safe during pregnancy because it's it's studies have shown that it's better that women who are who have depression um are better throughout their pregnancy and there are better outcomes or neonatal outcomes for their baby um if they continue with therapy and have medication on board if they're willing to to do that because some people don't like medication right um so so that that is a risk like if you've had it in the past or you've had depression or you have and and to be honest like i usually go with diagnosed depression so that you've been seen by someone that diagnosed it because when i ask anyone have you ever been depressed or sad for long periods of time people don't understand having normal human emotions versus depression because we've been uh, been sort of I don't know in the way that we live right now in America we can't have depression right you can't be depressed at all like if you have two or three days of feeling sad you're depressed forever right but those are just normal human emotions that we have to go through um but so so for people who have been diagnosed have had to really struggle um with that that's where i put a little extra on their chart but for others who say yeah i've been depressed but they've never been diagnosed because of lack of access to care or therapy or mental health services i still keep it in the back of my mind um cuz and we and we get social services on board just to evaluate them and see but yes you can be at risk for that and it also can affect you out of nowhere so sort of like me so So honestly you have a baby. Yeah, I do. Cutest baby. Yes. Ever. Um and um um you had the baby it's going to be almost a year ago. Um So <laughs> what what has your journey been with postpartum depression? Yeah, so it's 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 kind of ironic because when I got pregnant I was so like focused on not getting postpartum depression that as soon well not as soon but like 4 months 5 months into the pregnancy I was like okay I need to find a therapist because I need to get my ducks in a row yeah. and like really get the support because I'm not going to get postpartum depression and now I look back at myself and I laugh really hard because you can't prevent it like you can you can sort of help yourself in a way by by getting the the right people on your team so like if you think you are at risk of the, of getting postpartum depression because you have a history of depression yeah getting therapy and making sure you have that relationship set before you give birth is awesome um having a really supportive partner is great trying not to have any stress during your pregnancy is great um you can't control what happens to you during your birth experience as much as we want to so yeah. you got to go with the flow with that and if something happens and you already have that established um therapy relationship that's great but i laugh at myself now thinking that i could actually prevent postpartum depression from happening because it is a hormonal imbalance it's something yeah. that um that happens to people specifically who give birth so um partners can become depressed uh for other circumstances but it it's specifically birth people right um because it starts out as an imbalance in in the chemicals and the hormones and then um it progresses from there but that's what that was my journey i i decided okay i don't want to get postpartum depression i'm a type a person i'm going to plan this and i'm going to plan to not get postpartum depression and that's what i did and um being vulnerable i will share with 
the people listening is I had a very wonderful pregnancy. I didn't feel sick once. I didn't feel pregnant at all. If it wasn't for the kicking, right, of the fetus, I wouldn't think I was pregnant. And it was amazing. I love being pregnant. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, one day I'll be a surrogate. No, not really. But (laughs) who knows, maybe. And um, that's how much I love being pregnant. But mentally, I was in a terrible place. I was in a terrible relationship. Um, I became pregnant with someone who led me to believe you know, that this was a good idea to stay pregnant. We were together for a little while, but then um, come to find out months, months later after giving birth that the reason why he did a 180 was because of, uh, you know, cheating and extra uh, relationships on the side. And so I didn't know that in the going through it. And I kept wondering, like, what is wrong with this person? Like, why are they changing so much? Like, I like change and I like people to like grow and mature, but what the heck? And that sort of being in that while being pregnant and having a high level stress job was not good. So that's why I I went and sought out a therapist. Um, And just to sort of balance out all of the pregnancy emotions that you can feel, right? So mentally wasn't great, physically beautiful. Um, But as as it is, as much as we try to prevent it, um, I had a terrible postpartum experience with the same person, the same relationship, um, trying to make it work, but clearly adding a baby onto that does not help at all. Um, and I didn't have any help either in the postpartum uh, period besides my mother and immediate friends, right? And they can't live with me, or you can, which we'll find out later. But at the moment, when I was with my partner, I felt like a terrible mother. Um, there's nothing like new motherhood to make you feel like you weren't you weren't made for this. <laughs> like terrible. I kept having lots of doubts, lots of spiraling thoughts of I'm terrible at this. I should have never had a baby. I can't be a mother. I'm not very good at this. I just want this baby to go away. Like these terrible thoughts that now when I think of it makes me want to break down and cry because I love my child. I love him so much. He's amazing. Um, but when I was in it, I was in it. And the first two weeks I was like, whatever, this is baby blues, you know, it's going to go away. You know, yeah. just brush it off. But, um, it got worse, really worse mentally. Yeah. So what, what made you get curious about like, okay, do I have postpartum depression now? Was it after the two week mark you were like, okay, this is postpartum depression or? Was there something where you were like, okay, this is the, this is like the, the breaking piece. Like I definitely have to go do something about So most people, when they're in it, can't tell they have it. So that's why when I also, when I speak to my patients, I, at this point is when I look at whatever support person they have in the room, whether it's two days after you gave birth and you're about to go home, or it's during the prenatal course when we talk about topics like this is I look to the person, my, uh, the other person or whoever they're with and say, this is where you step in. If you start noticing things going Ari, so the person is no longer taking care of themselves. They're so, they're crying all the time. They're so angry out of nowhere. They're, they're saying some things about the child that you're like, mm, do people really say that? Like those things you need to alert a medical provider and you need to let them know that this is what you're noticing, right? Because the actual birth person has a very hard time seeing past what's happening to them 
And some people are really in tune with themselves and can say, okay, yeah, this is not me. Um, but for me personally, I could feel myself spiraling out of control and I've never felt depression before. Like I am a glass half full type of girl. I'm very positive. Um, during my pregnancy, I could feel myself tipping more towards negative. So every thought I had was becoming very negative thinking. Um, and so that's why I went to and sought out the therapist uh, halfway through the pregnancy. And my therapist actually, like, I was postpartum and for some reason, the I stopped therapy. That, that should have been the first clue, <laughs> right? That something was happening was that I kept ignoring her whenever she would call me or, or try to set up time. Um, so that should have been, but of course I didn't, I didn't see that. Um, and so I was just very tearful. Like, I think I would look at my, I, I'll, I'll say his name so I can stop saying my baby, uh, Julian and, um, just like look at him and, and think about how much I was failing him and how I wasn't meant for this. And I really wished I never had a child. Like that was where my thinking was going. Um, I stopped like taking care of myself. I lived in a robe. Like I would wake up and I would put a robe on and that was it. Like I would lie to people that I was showering. I would lie to my mom and she would act, call me and ask if I ate. Like I was just trying to survive on water. And then um, not because I don't like food, but just because I didn't feel like eating. Like it just anything with pleasure like food is so delicious but i just yeah. was like mm. like why even eat you know i just have to take care of this kid you know i have to and the other thing that didn't help too was that uh julian wasn't a very happy go lucky baby like he had trouble sleeping at night he would wake up every hour he was so hungry he ate all the time he's a big boy you know i gave pound i gave birth to like almost a nine pounder and so he was always hungry and it, and I was only me waking up every hour. There was no one helping me, even though the dad was like sleeping in the other room because he was too tired, right? Um, and it was a lot. And I was still recovering from giving birth. Um, and it just took a toll on me. And so lots of crying, lots of not taking care of myself. And I think when I when it hit me that I had postpartum depression, well, one, my mother kept telling me to go get help. Like, she's like, something's wrong with you. This is not right. Like, you're not Anna Sophia. This is, you need, you need to go. You need to tell your midwife. And I had a two-week postpartum appointment, and I didn't tell her. And I was like, everything's fine, you know? Um, and when she would ask me, and I lied on the, on the sheet that we give everyone, because yeah. I knew what it was looking for, right? Because I give that sheet to other people. Yeah. So I just checked off. Everything was great. Um. And then I, and I was like, I can beat this. Like I can do this on my own. Like I don't need help. And that's my fault too, is that I couldn't believe that as a midwife, I was getting postpartum depression. That as someone who helps others with this, I also was getting it. I hated that. I hated that to a core. Like I was like, wow, I'm failing in all aspects, motherhood, my career. Like that's all I kept thinking. I'm failing, I'm failing. Yeah. And the day that I decided was time for me to and then at, at this point too I had also like asked my partner to leave the home that we were sharing um so then I was really by myself uh and the day that I thought okay this is it 
was a day that Julian was suffering from polyps, which is when they have a lot of gas in the system and they're getting used to the outside world. And he was crying and crying and it was all day crying, like all day, like incessant crying. And I had a thought about what if I just left him here and I just disappeared and I just left and I just went away and never came back. Like, how come the father can do that? But I can't as a mom. Like, how come I can't shake this responsibility? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And I called my mother and I was telling her this. And she was like, bring me the baby. And I was like, no, I can't. You're at work. She's like, Anna, get in the car and bring me the baby right now. Like, she was nervous about what I was going to do. And so I went to her job and I was crying like the whole time driving there. And I like, I threw him to her and I was like, I just need to go. And I left. Like I stopped. I didn't call her. I didn't for like five hours. I was just gone. I was just driving around and just, I was somewhere in my brain. I don't know where, but I think that day I, I black out from that experience because it's really sad for me to think about it. But I, I just left. I just left and I was driving around the state. And then the next day I had my, luckily I had my six week postpartum appointment and I went to the midwife and she's a friend of mine I would like to say and I like she looked at me she's like hey how you doing you know all chipper and wonderful like she is and I was like you know I'm doing <laughs> like just like you know and she was like uh and I had to break it down to her like I wasn't being truthful with her because she was a friend um and a provider. I wasn't being truthful to her about my relationship with the father. I wasn't being truthful to her about what was happening with me um, because I didn't want to be seen as like the midwife who couldn't handle it, right? I think that was a big part of why I wouldn't allow myself to see where I was. And so that was the day that I went for help and I got placed on Zoloft, which is a medication you can use while breastfeeding. Um, and it takes two weeks for it to start working. So for the first two weeks, I had to really hang on tight to that. And then slowly but surely, you know, the the medication was working. And it's all good because the, the dad decided to leave the country without saying anything. Um, and I'm glad it didn't set me back or and, and that I had the medication. I reconnected with my therapist and told her what was going on. My mom um, basically moved in with me um, at that point to help me at night so that I wasn't awake for 24 hours because I also couldn't nap for some reason. Um, and, and things started getting better, but the medication definitely helped. And the therapy was really helpful. Um, being, practicing mindfulness and, and making sure that I was keeping ahead of my mental health and, and really taking into consideration really helped. But those first few weeks, I, it was terrible. And I also joined a new mom's group. And when I went there and, we, and they had a specific day where we just talked about our mental health and hearing other people also have postpartum depression and hearing other folks talk about their PTSD and their anxiety and all these things was like, okay, I'm not alone, which I knew I wasn't right. As, as the yeah. career minded person, I knew I wasn't, but when you're in it, you're like, God damn, like I'm the worst mother ever. Like, why am I taking a medication that could potentially go into my milk? And now I'm making my, my son take the medication, like all of these things. But, um, 
that was that was a rough rough six eight weeks of of Julian's life and mine. <laughs> but that's that's how I came to find out. And it was the signs and symptoms were all there, but even as someone who's trained in recognizing in other people, I couldn't recognize it in myself. Well, I think it's important to say that because of the fact that what I'm taking from what you're saying, what I'm receiving it as, is that you had shame around it. And you, mm-hmm. you someone who was able to, like, you, you diagnosed that in other people and you felt so much shame. So I can only imagine um, what that's like for you, but also for someone who isn't trained in that, for someone who isn't, like, a professional and is walking around feeling like I I want to leave like I don't want this baby I don't want this and even thinking culturally right like culturally in the Latinx community it's like oh you had a baby like it's so great everyone's passing the baby around and everybody's so happy and you're there like I hate this baby like I don't want that essentially yeah actually what was happening um people would ask me like oh how does it feel to be a mom how does it feel to have this baby and I would literally tell them, like, I, I actually kind of hate it. And they're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not laughing. This is not funny. Like, I hate being a mom, <laughs> like, like to be honest. And that, and they're like, oh. And then drop the conversation. Like, no more, right? Because the response they want is for you to be like, oh, my God, I'm so in love. You know, like, this is my world. Uh, da, da, da. And I didn't feel that. Like, when, I, when he was born, I... I saw birth as like something I had to do, right? And I conquered that shit. Like I birthed the crap out of this baby. Like that was awesome. I did it without an epidural. I didn't tear. I like I was like choop 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 like check check did it all. Um and when what? Did you deliver your own baby? Well, I asked for the dad to deliver the baby. Um so because that's what I wanted. But they, essentially, I reached down and grabbed him and like. <laughs> I, I was, I midwifed myself through that shit. And so, sorry for swearing people at home. Um, but, <laughs> but then when he was placed on me, I was like, oh, great. I did it. But like, it wasn't an overwhelming sense of love. Um, and I kept waiting for that to happen. Right. I kept saying, and then that also played tricks in my mind because I'm like, okay, I'm not feeling this. So what's wrong with me? Right. Like if they tell me that this is supposed to be the best love of my life, where is that feeling? And why am I not feeling it? And to be honest, I didn't feel that until he was six months old. Because he's a stranger. When you have a child, that's a stranger. You don't know this person. Now, like, they depend on you to survive and you have to give everything of yourself to this new person, right? Like, you have nine months or ten months of pregnancy where your your ideas of who this person is you project that onto this fetus and they're not that at all they come out with their set of personality like it's amazing um it's, it's a human with their own predetermined personality and now you're getting to know each other you're throwing breastfeeding or chest feeding in there if that's what you choose to do you're you're in a new relationship with the baby right and you have to get to know what they're what pisses them off what what makes them happy and cater to them, every cry, everything. So for me, that was, I knew that's what was going to happen, right? I knew that's what motherhood was about, but actually being in it and actually having to go through it. And then on top of that, having postpartum depression, it was hard. It was really hard. 
Um, and I wasn't ready for that. No, no book, no class, no anything can, can prepare you for, for that transition into motherhood. Um, and it's a beast. And, and for me, conquering that beast was, was really tough. And I think even at 11 months postpartum, I think I've got some things right and, and some things wrong, obviously, but the love I do feel for him now is uncomparable to anything I've ever felt, but it took a while. It took a long time to get there. Like a, oh, what is it? The show that we watched, uh, Marriage at First Sight, and the, the pastor's like, you don't fall in love, you grow in love. That's what I mean. Right. Growing in love. But I'm glad you said that because I wonder now how many, how many burden people like don't feel that where, the baby is placed in their chest or the baby's like brought over to them and they're like, Oh, okay. Thanks. And, but they're forced to lie about it because everyone's like, wasn't that like the most amazing feeling that you had? And you don't want to come off as like, no, it wasn't like, I, I really didn't feel that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I want people who are hearing who have felt this to, to know that they're not alone. Like even in my new mom's group, a bunch of people voiced that, but only after we were really comfortable with each other. <laughs> right. Cause you don't want to be seen as like, Oh my gosh, what a heartless person you are. Um, because, and I was very upfront with it. Like my mom would ask me, Oh, isn't this love? And I'm like, no, it's not. And she's like, don't say that. And I'm like, Mom, I don't think you remember the beginning months of postpartum because you remember you've had, what, 28, 29 years with me. So, of course, you remember the love because that's what you're feeling now. But just think back and you can't. You literally can't. Like the time is so slow, but it moves so fast. And those feelings that you had in the initial phases, that's just how our brain works. Like that's why people keep having more kids, because if you really remember the first three months of um the fourth trimester you're going you're going to be like why the hell am I doing this again because it's it's tough it's really tough and that's why I think also we're in this society where you need two people to raise a child right or even more you do you definitely need a village um and why it's so hard being a single parent because that support is is important it's the the only thing that has gotten me through this postpartum depression to say at this point that I'm no longer on medication uh I weaned not I didn't do it myself but I did it with my midwife because the side effects of Zoloft is terrible from like diarrhea and GI symptoms to severe headaches if you just take yourself off completely um and if it wasn't for my parents helping me out my friends to talk to I think I would still be dealing with postpartum depressive symptoms. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, like being vulnerable about that. Like that's something that I'm sure a lot of people feel and just listening to you say that, I feel like people are going to feel safer about their, like, more secure about what they feel. I mean, like what you just said, that they're not alone. So thank you very much for sharing that. Or even if you're, pregnant now and you know you're going to be in the birthing process soon to know that if you don't feel any immediate love for the baby that that's okay like already having that validation versus like having that moment and being like oh my god I did not feel this but I better stay quiet about it um so I think you're going to help a lot of people who may end up experiencing that so that they don't have to question themselves as to like are they a good person or not
Yeah. Um, so you touched upon like the, some of the shame that you felt. Um, and even, I think you kind of touched upon like in your, in your, in your mom's group, like how there could have been some like shame there. Um, in your work, when you work with like birthing, um, people, like what sort of shame or stigmas do you see around having postpartum depression? Like, do you see some of your patients like immediately shy away from that or get really awkward talking about it because of stigma? Well, the, I work in a, a population that is Cape Verdean, Haitian Creole, Spanish speakers from various different countries in Central America and um, South America. Not a lot of Caribbean, but I do see Dominicans a lot coming to me, right? Um, and Brazilian. And I will say I will exclude the Brazilians out because, not to say, but they're, they're very good at detecting when they're sad or depressed. Very good at that. Not generally speaking, um, they will let me know that they're feeling these things. That they're open to that, um, or open. There's obviously stigma in Brazil um, regarding depression in itself, but I think that as a culture, they're more open than the other cultures to hearing about it. So I want to stand corrected. I don't want any Brazilian people coming after me about this, but but. Um, in the Haitian Creole community, there's a huge stigma. Um, when I present the subject, it's sort of brushed away like, oh, that won't happen to me. Um, when I'm like, it's it's not something that you choose to happen to you. It's something that can happen because of multiple things in your body going already. Like, it, it, I'm not saying this, you know, like I have to start like stumbling over myself to be like, wait, 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 hold on. Um, in the K-Verding community, same thing. Uh, there are many folks who I say, hey, this sounds like you have postpartum depression. Um, do you want to do something about it? You know, you can't force someone to go to therapy. You can't force them to be on medication. Like the medication can only work if you're consistent with taking it, right? Um, and if you're not, then there's no point in taking it uh, haphazardly. And so, and in, um, in the Latinx community, I find it's 50-50. I find that um, they see medical providers as gods and just take for face value what medical providers say and don't really question. So if you tell them, take this medicine because it'll make you feel better, they're like, okay. But will they continue taking it after the first week or two? Not really. Um so the, the compliance and the keeping up afterwards is not there, but they're open to hearing you because they think you have the final say and the final authority, which is not good at all. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, I hate when that happens. And I'm always constantly asking, is this because you want to do this? Is this because you think you should do this? Um, to especially the Ecuadorians and the Guatemalans that we see a lot at our clinic. But overall, in, in these uh, communities, in my community, the Caverni community, uh, it's it's a mentality of just get over it. You know, like that's that's white people stuff. Like, stop it. Um, you don't have depression. Like, you just need to get up and take care of your child. Oh, when I had a baby, I, I had this, this and that going on. I worked two jobs. I didn't even have 12 weeks postpartum care. I'm like, that's not okay. I'm sorry that that happened to you and that you didn't get to stay with your baby in America um, because of this country sucks and hates women, like literally, I think. Um, 
but that's not okay that that happened to you. And if you did have postpartum depression and, and no one acknowledged that for you or no one bothered to help you, that's not okay either. And I think that's that's where it stems from with this stigma and this shame. And it's like, well, my mother could do it. Then why can't I? You know, um, well, maybe your mother did have postpartum depression, you know, like, but she couldn't talk about it. What do you think all the women in the 1950s drinking away their lives were about? Like, you know, like it's it's a it's a thing that in this in our society, in our general society, women were raised to be mothers. Right. Um, Raised to think that that's their only highest aspiration. Right. Like when like just look at social media, when you get engaged or when you get married or when you have a baby you get the most likes but if you get your phd or you're graduating or you got a new job promotion it's like oh yeah good for you but those milestones and quotation marks of, of for women in their lives that's the one that gets applauded the most right um and i think when you start having when you do decide to have a child and it's not what you were raised to expect and you actually realize, oh, maybe I don't like motherhood in all its entirety. That love feeling didn't really come for me until much later. Or I have to work really hard to be the mother that I thought I wanted to be. Um, it can be really jarring. And then when you add postpartum depression on top of that, it can throw you for a whole loop. And yeah, and that's, and for me, it was more of a, I'm a midwife. Why couldn't I see this coming? And why didn't I prevent it? Sort of thing that made me go into this like shame of just just keep either one, keep ignoring it and it'll go away. Or two, denying, denying, denying. And no, 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 I don't have this because I should have been able to prevent this. And that's what stops me from seeking help at much earlier. Um, but for the for the general lay people, I guess I should say the ones who probably have never heard of postpartum depression or probably don't know how to name what they're going through, right, at that time. Um, I think a lot of folks don't reach out or don't say anything to their medical providers or even their friends or things like that because that's not how they're supposed to feel. And and it's shameful to be that way. It's shameful to think those thoughts. It's shameful to not put your baby first and everything for the rest of your life. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's tough. And shame thrives in silence. So the the more that you stay quiet about it, the worse it's gonna get. It's not gonna get better because you're gonna let time pass by. It's not gonna get better because you're gonna just try and like push it under the rug and, and like move on with your day. Like it's still gonna be there and it's gonna get worse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what you said. And so my advice for folks who are maybe going through postpartum depression right now, if this resonates with you, if you're thinking these thoughts, if you feel like you might be depressed, just reach out to someone, someone who will actually listen to you and not dismiss you. Because I think the worst thing is when you reach out to someone and they dismiss you from, from the jump. Like, oh, don't think that, this will get better. Um, the first person to reach out to is your medical provider. Again, not all medical providers are made the same. Um, and some don't know what to do with postpartum depression, even though we're, we're somewhat trained in it, but really, uh, 
really advocate for yourself if you can. And if you can't tell someone who can advocate for yourself. Um, if you're pregnant right now and or and or have a partner who is about to give birth, uh, I think it's important to talk about postpartum depression prior to giving birth. Uh, find out what the signs and symptoms are. Bring it up with your medical provider if you really don't want to trust Google.com. Um, as I call that, Dr. Google. Uh, and, and just really be open about it. Uh, if you have a therapist, bring it up in your therapy conversations. Uh, say that you're worried about it and, and want to be forthright and talk about it a little bit, um, about how you can, can be in tune with yourself when you do give birth. Um, and just reach out to someone as soon as you start feeling not like yourself. And having those negative thoughts, voice them. The same out loud. And if someone says, ooh, maybe you shouldn't be saying that, ask yourself, why shouldn't I be saying that? You know? Um, that's, that would, from your experience, like, with the people that you did reach out to or, you know, maybe the responses you didn't agree with or weren't helpful, like, what would you say to people's support system and community? What did, what, what did you want to hear when you came out and said to Like, how can people support someone going through that? Is it saying, is it just listening and saying, hey, I think you should talk to like a medical professional or was there anything specific around what you wanted to hear or what you did hear that was helpful? Yeah, I think I'll start with what was not helpful. So, um, so I bring up my mom a lot because she's been like instrumental in, in all of this. She's been my rock and we're best friends. I like to think I'm not her best friend, but she's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she tells she's me. She's like listening to this, she's like. You're not. <laughs> I'm like, all right, girl, whatever. Um, anyway, uh, so when I would talk to her about it in the beginning, I think it was really tough for her to see me go through everything that I was going through, both in my relationship and as a new mom. And in the beginning, she would tell me, like, it's okay, you'll get better. Like, it's fine to feel this way. You'll get better. Like, stop crying. Crying doesn't doesn't do anything. You know, like very Cape Verdean mother-esque, um, like stop being so emotional, like all this other stuff, which was not helpful at all. And I would tell her, I was like, just let me cry. Like, I need to cry. Like, I'm getting frustrated and I need to cry. Like, this baby won't shut up. I need to cry along with him. <laughs> like, that's just how it has to be. Yeah. Um, and she would try and like, she would take the baby or Julian away and help. She was very helpful with that. Um, in terms of my best friend, uh, one of my best friends, because Steph is here too. Like, I guess all my friends, you know. <laughs> I, I talked to you guys about it. And I, I think I was, I told you all mostly about what was happening negatively in the relationship, um, but not what was happening emotionally with me, right? So, but I think most of you, of the people I shared it with, and it was a very small group of people, um, by small I mean like two or three <laughs> they all said like you know talk to your therapist talk to, but I don't think they knew that I had broken off the therapy link and I hadn't shared that either um but as a supportive person I, and this is what I tell my patients too you could tell and this is what my mother did right you could tell the person that they need to go get help all the time um, and it's just like someone with any mental health illness or, or drug dependency, right? You could tell them to go get help, but it's not until they feel it's necessary that they need to get help 
that they'll go. Um, and so I think the one thing of advice I would give is just to be there and listen and try not to dismiss their concerns. Try not to tell them to stop crying or stop this, you know, just, just be there. Um, being in silence and just listening sometimes is really all we need. Uh, and, and then gently coaxing them. Right. And if you're a partner that is going to the visits with them, bring it up, bring it up yourself. Be like, Hey, I noticed that, uh, my partner is doing this, this and that. And I'm kind of uh, nervous about this and I just want to talk about it. Um, and that's ultimately what my mother had to do when I went to that visit. She was there too. And I, right when, before I started crying, I was thinking about not telling her again. I don't know what was going on with me, but that was, that was where I was headed. But that's the general advice I would give is, is just to be there. Um, and bring it up like, Hey, you should reach out to this or you should do this or look at what I found out about this. Maybe that's what's happening to you. Um, but until, they reach the point that they're willing to accept the help. It's not going to, it's not going to be, but don't give up. That's super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I think people like to hear that side too. Um, specifically this, this topic isn't talked about in general for people going through it, but even more so for people who are on the other end trying to support or hearing about it. And like, I know for like the Latinx community, like this has never been talked about in, and I've, I've had a lot of people in my family who have been pregnant and had many kids, and I'm sure one out of seven, you said, was the number. Like, I'm sure somebody had to feel this, and knowing, like, the way our community and our culture is, it would be very much what you said. Like, it's okay. It's going to go away. You just got to, like, pick up by the bootstraps and do what you have to do. Like, this is your job. You're a mother. So just hearing that, I think, at least for me, is super helpful it's, as, as we're thinking about having children and, like, wanting to think about how we both can be supportive to each other, but even more so to our friends. And, um, so thank you for sharing that. For sure. Uh, you, you, you got ahead of me and you answered all the questions that I, that I had. About Plus, no, it's also because I prepared. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But you, you, you answered all the questions. We always end the episode with like some advice and um, you provided that. Um, I do want to say that you're an awesome mom and that you, um, Julian is very lucky to have you because you're so open and so like honest and um, yeah, he's, he's very lucky to have you as, um, as a mom. So I know that you, I'm sure you know this, but I wanted to tell you as an outsider that that's what I see. Um, and thank you for coming to, to talk about postpartum depression because yeah. I think it's so important and I hope that whoever's listening can take something from this, even if you're not someone who is going to be giving birth, likely know someone who is going to give birth and you have a responsibility too in terms of helping that person out and, and lending um, an ear if they are going through postpartum depression. Right. And I have one thing of advice. If you have someone who just gave birth, and I know you want to see that baby, but please, in the first two weeks, call or text or ask if you can come over first before you drop by. And if you do drop by, come come by with some food. Stop playing games. Don't bring me a gift. Don't bring the baby a gift unless it's food. No food. <laughs> because it's real rough in the beginning. Like, I loved having, like, in my culture, we have this seven-day party that we do. 
And I loved having people over and it was really fun to see my whole family and sing songs and blah, blah, blah. But when I tell you my, and I'm sorry to say this on the spot, my vagina was throbbing because I just gave birth seven days ago and I had to get up and look pretty and I didn't feel like it. <laughs> and the only thing I liked about that was, was that in America, the party had to end early. And two, the, the rest of the food that I had for the rest of the week. Where I didn't have to think about making lunch. I didn't have to think about making dinner. I just popped it in the microwave and did it. So that's my last word of advice. Bring food to your postpartum friends. And leave it at the door and go home. <laughs> Listen, I'm all about this. I like this. Yeah. And then after the two, three weeks pass by, a month maybe, then you can go visit. Yeah. Especially now. Especially now. Yeah. Oof. Not in this COVID time. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us, Ana Sofia. Really, really appreciate all, of course, all your insight, um, but also your vulnerability in sharing about your experience. So, and I thank you all for having me because not a lot of people talk about this topic, and I'm really glad that on Trish Chat you guys go deep. You know, thank you. No, <laughs> well, no I think people are going to be super excited about the episode. So, thank you mm -hmm. so much. I'm Especially sure. 2020 is like the year of babies. All these people that we know having babies, insane. Congratulations, <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> Your word. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back for more discussions, but thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.